take God's Word and turn with me in the Bible to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. You know, occasionally we speak on uh, adult topics and we give parents the opportunity to make the election whether or not they want their children to sit in that particular service or not. And so I want to give you a warning ahead of time that this morning we're going to be talking about a four-letter word that for many Christians is comparable to a four-letter curse word. So if you have small children, you may want to cover their ears. The word is wait. And actually, I'm going to be using two words in this morning's message that, quite honestly, as uh, Christ followers, we don't like to hear these two words. First is wait, and the second is exercise. And we're going to be talking about both of those this morning. The title of this morning's message is Waiting for the Lord. In Psalm 27, verse 14, we are given one of the most important exhortations of the Bible. It's the command to wait for the Lord. Now, we have been in a series of messages and are uh, getting near the end of this series that I've entitled uh, Rooted and Grounded. And the series is based on Paul's admonition given to us in the Colossians 2, 6, and 7, where it talks about just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to grow in Him, continue to be rooted and to grow in your faith in Christ, being thankful in your hearts. And so we've been talking about those things that are just basic. And I thought to myself, you know, if there is anything that has been true of my Christian experience is that there has been a lot of times in my Christian life where I've just had to wait on the Lord. And I thought, you know, you wouldn't typically think of this as being something basic that you would share with believers. I mean, you would understand in the series us talking about the assurance of salvation and and then the eternal security of the believer. You would understand us talking about prayer. We've talked about all of those things. And I really began to wrestle within myself as I thought about this message, and I thought, you know, One of the things every one of us is going to do as believers in Christ is there are going to be some times when we're going to have to wait on the Lord. And so I want to talk about that this morning. And uh, waiting on the Lord is comparable to the experience that many of us had. You ever have that experience where you walk into the waiting room for your doctor's appointment and you're seated there and it just seems like time goes on forever and you feel like, you know what, did they not know that I was coming? You know, it's like I had an appointment. In fact, they even sent me an email and a text message saying, please confirm your appointment that you are coming. And I received all of that, and I showed up, and yet here I am sitting in the lobby. And I look at my watch. It feels like it's been hours. I look at my watch. It's only been 20 minutes. And that's the way it is in life. Sometimes when we're waiting for the Lord, when we're waiting on the Lord, it feels like, you know, just hours and years that we've been waiting on God for a particular answer. And I've been thinking about a number of those experiences in my life where it was an extended period of waiting. I I haven't shared this with you before, but I was 31 years old before I got married. 
And there were, you know, many girls that I dated that, you know, fortunately they were, they were quality. In fact, I thought I was going to marry, you know, uh, one or more of them. And uh, it reminds me of the old saying Bill Glass said, you know, he was all pro, uh, uh, Baylor Letterman, and went on to be an all pro with the Cleveland Browns. He said one time he was thankful that God didn't say yes to all of his prayers because he'd been married to half the girls at Baylor University and none of them would have been the right one. And that's kind of my story. And so I'm praying and I'm 27 and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, where is this girl that you're going to send me? I've been praying, you know, in earnest, Lord, send me the right one. And you know, at, at age 29, after all of those years of waiting, a message just came real clear. It came through to me very clearly. And this was while waiting on the Lord. And the message was, Sid, stop looking for the right girl and become the right man. Because if you find the girl that I've put in your heart to desire, you've got to know she's going to be looking for the right kind of guy. And so I stopped looking for the right girl, and I started focusing on becoming the right person. And during that time, it was God's waiting room. And that's where we find David in Psalm 27. He's sitting in God's waiting room. And this psalm illustrates for us what it means to wait on the Lord or to wait for the Lord. And what we're going to be given here is we're going to be given a close-up picture of a guy who's sitting right there where many of us today are sitting. We've got something. Maybe you're waiting to have children. Maybe you're waiting to find that special person that you're going to marry. It may be that you're waiting on a job. It may be that you've been waiting on an answer to come for you on something that you've been praying about for a very long time. There are all these times in our lives when we wait. We're going to do a lot of waiting in our lives. And we need to understand what does that look like for a believer according to God's word? What happens during those times? So I want you to follow along in Psalm 27. We begin the reading at the first verse. And this is what we read there. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I've asked the Lord one thing from the, I've asked from, uh, one thing from the Lord. It is that what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high. Above my enemies around me, I will offer sacrifices in his tent. With shouts of joy, I will sing and make music to the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I think uh, this morning, just as we were listening to the words and, and experiencing the meaning of those words, I speak Jesus that, Father, that uh, you're speaking your words of peace over us even right now. You understand exactly where we are. You know that what we're dealing with, and for many of us even today, we find ourselves in that waiting room. And so I ask you, Lord, just to 
Help us to see that this is not wasted time or we're not just sitting idle, but God, in fact, this is a time for us to experience some real spiritual growth. And we love you, Jesus, for never wasting a single moment in our lives, but that your desire is unyielding, unfailing, and doing everything you can using every moment and every experience to make us like Jesus with whom we'll spend all eternity. And without being like him, that would be a very, very uncomfortable, unpleasant experience. So there's much work to be done in me, Lord, and this morning as I pray, I thank you for your hammer and chisel that continues to chip away at me. And I pray you'll use your word this morning. Lord, as only you can by the Spirit's power to bring a message to each of us personally and individually. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm sure if you've been reading through the word, you've noticed that in the Psalms, that oftentimes there is a title given for every psalm. In our modern English translations, you can look at the top, there's a superscription. And the superscription in most modern translations of the Bible written over the top of Psalm 27 are the words, a psalm of David. But in the first Greek Bible which is known as the Greek Septuagint, which was written in 200 B.C. There is a superscription that appears over the top of Psalm 27 that gives a fuller explanation of this psalm. It says, A psalm of David before he was anointed. David was anointed twice in his lifetime. First, he was anointed as a teenager when Samuel the prophet came to him and announced that you are the man God has chosen to be Israel's king. But then there is this interlude of time, this time of waiting, before David actually becomes king and actually takes a seat on the throne. And most commentators believe that based upon the content of Psalm 27, that David wrote this psalm in between that first anointing and that second anointing. In between the time that he knew God had a plan and he knew what God's plan was, but he had to wait for it. Now through David's prayer, we can learn much about what it means to wait for the Lord. And contrary to what Most people believe waiting for the Lord is not a passive activity. (laughs) It is a time when we stretch our spiritual muscles, when we grow up a little bit in the Lord. And it's a time when we get to that place in our life where we come increasingly more and more to the end of ourselves. And we find out that, you know, God, there are some things I'm waiting on you to do. And God speaks back to us, yes, I know. I can do that at any moment. It doesn't take long. It's not hard for me. But there's some things I want to do in you 
before that happens. Waiting for the Lord, first of all, I want you to see this morning, is a fitting exercise for believers. It's a fitting exercise for believers. Contrary to modern thinking, waiting doesn't always mean we're idle. In fact, waiting for the Lord is not a passive exercise. In the Bible, waiting for the Lord describes activity that includes trusting and seeking and praying. And all of those are activities that God uses to build our spiritual muscles. First of all, we find that when we're waiting, we wait for the Lord by trusting in Him. Go back and look at verses 1 and 2 and notice that David during this time while he's waiting on the Lord he refers to God and he says the Lord is my light the Lord is my salvation the Lord is my stronghold now how does David lead us into this song which is in fact a prayer of David that he's praying during this time of waiting he leads into the psalm and gives introduces the theme by asking two questions that have very obvious answers. They're rhetorical questions for David because he's going to answer them himself as he goes on and he sings this song and he rehearses these things that he knows to be true of God. First of all, he says, look at the first question. He says, whom shall I fear? That word fear that appears in Psalm 27 verse 1 is a very common Hebrew word This simply means anxiety or agitation. And it's the word that is used most frequently when speaking about this experience that people have of fear. But in the second question, he uses a different Hebrew word. And it's a much less common word. The second word that we read in that second question is, Whom shall I dread? And the word dread there that is translated in the Hebrew is a word that means more than anxiety and agitation. In fact, it means to be in awe. It means to be intimidated. So in fact, from the start of this song, what David is saying to us is, I will not be intimidated. We trust the Lord in God's waiting room. It's a time when we must learn to trust Him. And we trust the Lord, first of all, that He will deliver us. That this is not going to last forever and it's not going to overwhelm us. And He says, The Lord is my light. You realize that in the Bible that light appears at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis and at the ending of the Bible in Revelation. God's Word begins with light and ends with light. Jesus said, I came into the world, John was writing about the ministry of Jesus. He said, Jesus came into the world into a world of darkness, but the darkness did not overcome him because light overcomes darkness. And so when David is describing these experiences that he's had in God's waiting room, he's saying to us, you know, I've experienced the Lord is my 
salvation. He has been my deliverer many times over. I've been afraid for my life and he's delivered me. And there have been these times in my life where he has been my stronghold. And he's not just talking about piling rocks up in front of him and finding a cave that he can hide in while Saul's army is seeking his life. But rather there are times in his life where he says, you know, God is my light. And he dispels the darkness. Nothing can overcome light. We can trust the Lord will deliver us. We can trust the Lord will defend us. In the second and third verses, reading on there, he says, When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. This word confident is also one of those Hebrew words. It's the word hatak, and it means to be secure, to have assurance. And what he's saying here is in spite of all the rejection and all the intimidation, he was still able to feel secure because he put his trust in the Lord. So while waiting for the Lord, we have confidence in the Lord's presence. He'll deliver us. He'll defend us. We wait for the Lord, and we trust the Lord will deliver us. When we wait for the Lord, we also trust the Lord. And as we wait for the Lord, we do so by seeking Him. I want you to notice the words of verses 4 through 6, and then the restatement that is made in verse 8. In verses 4 through 6, David is conveying his trust in the Lord by longing to be with him to commune in God's presence and worship in his temple. Look at the fourth verse again. It says this, I've asked one thing from the Lord is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. In God's dwelling place, praising and worshiping the Lord, David felt safe and secure. And so he goes on and he writes this in the fifth and sixth verses. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me on a high, high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and I will make music to the Lord. And notice that what David does in verse 4, what he actually does, which is worship, he instructs himself to do in verse 8. He says, I will seek his face. I think the wording there is important for us. David sought God's face, not God's hand. How often do we come to God wanting Him to give us something? Do you know in worship that worship is not about God giving us something? It's about us getting more of God. That's the difference between seeking God's face and seeking God's hand. When we seek God's face, we don't come to get things from God. We come to get more of God Himself. This time of waiting is a very active time in our lives. It's a time of seeking. I can help 
but notice that when I was reading this, just about my own life experiences, about the how corporate worship has figured into my spiritual growth as a believer in Christ. You know, COVID has created a, an environment where many people, even many who were faithful to be in church for many years, discovered, you know, hey, wait a second. We don't have to get up and get dressed and go through all the fussing and fighting with the kids and climb into the car and go down to the church. We can just watch online. My apologies to those of you who are watching online right now. Uh, But it has become very helpful to us. Of course, when we are ill or not feeling well and we need to stay home or when we're going through a time of recovery, you know, there's any number of things that could cause that to be. And when you can, it's always good to join us online. That's a wonderful thing to do. But there are certain benefits to corporate worship to which David refers in this as he talks about being in the temple of the Lord to worship with God's people. Now, obviously, (laughs) you and I cannot live at the church house. I mean, we don't stay here 24-7. We come, there's a time set aside where we come together for corporate worship, and then we go on. And that's exactly what David is telling us here. He's saying, I long to be in God's house, to be with God's people. I long to be singing and praying and worshiping with God's people and giving my tithes and offerings because this is what I've discovered. It's got a transferable effect on the rest of my life. And you know that to be true, and I know that to be true. I come here on Sunday morning, and when I show up, man, I'm a hot mess. I I need to get some things straightened out before I'm even ready to worship God. I'm halfway into the worship service before I I start taking a deep breath and relaxing and realizing, wait a second, this is good for me. I'm glad that I came here this morning. I felt like a piece of junk when I came this morning, but I'm beginning to feel uplifted in the Lord. That happens when we come into a corporate worship service, but we can't stay here 24-7, but it has a residual effect. It's transferable to our lives, this praying that we do, this singing that we do to the Lord. And by the way, if you are that stone-faced person who is a sourpuss when we sing a song that you don't like, let me remind you of something. When we come to God's house... We don't come to sing songs about God. We come to sing songs to God. I think for a long time we've gotten so caught up in discussions about what kind of music it is and what the lyrics are. And don't misunderstand me. It's important that they be biblically, reflect biblical truth. We're not going to sing it if it doesn't. But I've been to church before where a familiar song comes up and I'm singing words that are truth about God, but my heart is not singing to God. David is talking about a time of worship where he's singing to God and then he talks about how this has a a transferable effect on his life when he's not in God's temple. So waiting for the Lord involves the exercises of trusting the Lord and seeking the Lord. And then thirdly, we wait for the Lord by praying to Him. 
as David did in eager expectation of deliverance. Let's read on in the psalm, beginning at verse 7. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. There are many people who have uh, studied this psalm from a critical analysis standpoint. And because of the change in mood from the second half of the psalm to the first half of the psalm, many have, have thought to themselves that actually this is not one psalm, but two psalms. But we know from the context of what is written here, and we know from the references from one half of the psalm to the other half of the psalm and back and forth the way we see it, we understand that this is really just one psalm. But do you see the tremendous mood swing? That David experiences here. He goes from faith in the first half to fear. That's going to happen while we wait on the Lord. This is not just a story about David. This is a story about you and me. When we wait on the Lord, there'll be times when we have tremendous faith in God. And there'll be times when we have fear, even though we know truths about God. We start having questions, so we wonder things to ourselves. And during those times, when we are on an emotional roller coaster, you know what stabilizes us? The promises of God. When I can't trust myself, when I don't trust my heart and where I am, you know what I turn to? I turn to, what does God say? And you know what I do sometimes in my prayers? I just pray the Word of God back to Him. Sometimes I can't trust my heart. I can't trust my feelings and where I am because I'm just all over the place. Sometimes I'm fearful. Sometimes I have faith. But at all times, God is faithful to keep His promises. And what are these promises that He shares with us? As He's praying to the Lord, singing to the Lord... The first promises he claims is the promise that he will hear us. In verse 7, we read there in a few moments ago, Lord, you showed your favor. You made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. What David says is, you know, I know the Lord will hear me. The voice that shouts to God in worship is the same voice that can be sure that God will hear it in prayer. 
he claims this promise that God will hear us. And he also claims this promise in verse 9 that the Lord will care for us. In verse 9, notice these phrases that he uses. He pleads to the Lord. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Do not leave me or forsake me. And yet, look, his doubt is quickly swallowed up in faith. He says, you have been my helper, God of my salvation. And then in verse 10, this statement, look, if, even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Now, the fact that his father and mother would abandon him in this instance is hypothetical. He's not referring to a specific instance. He's simply saying, man, my mom and dad love me. But not like the Lord loves me. I think God communicates to our children through us as parents. I mean, we're a a little heaven on earth for our kids. That's what we're supposed to be. A reflection of the Heavenly Father as He lives inside of us and shares with us and those things about patience and grace and goodness (laughs) and judgment and mercy. Justice. A standard but fair. Everything for everybody the same way. And this is why it amazes us as parents, isn't it? Because we have two kids raised in the house the same way, by the same parents, same principles, and the two kids are totally different and turn out differently. But God knows his kids. Now, the setting of Isaiah 49 is, you remember the story of Isaiah? He went to the temple to worship. That wasn't his first time to go to the temple, but it, something different happened that day. He showed up in the temple, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is in Isaiah 6. And he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Now, he'd been to church many times. But he said, this, this time was different. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His glory filled the temple. Man, I like those kind of worship experiences. But I don't just dial them up every week. That's what I aim for. It's what I'd like to see. But Isaiah had that experience. When that happened, he said, whoa, 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 it's me. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a group of people of unclean lips. And here I am in the presence of God. I'm in a heap of trouble. And what did God do? God took the initiative when Isaiah confessed and recognized his shortcoming. An angel of the Lord touched his mouth with hot coals and said, you are cleansed. Do not fear. 
And then he heard this voice. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Send my sister. No, he said, Here I am. Send me. Now that's the way it should be for us. Just go ahead and write out the check and sign it and let me fill in the amount, God says. And so after Isaiah volunteers, what does God say? God says, uh, let me tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> let me tell you what's about to happen. Here am I, send me. I'm going to use you. I'm going to send you. And for 50 years, you're going to preach with no response. Thank you very much, God. That's just the church I was wanting to go to. No preacher wants to go to a church and preach for 50 years and have no response. Give the invitation, preach the truth. Nobody comes forward. Nobody makes a decision. The only decision they make is to come and go and leave just the way they were when they entered. That's what happened among the Israelites. It was a period of God's discipline in their lives. And Isaiah was the prophet who kept speaking the truth to him, speaking the truth to him, speaking the truth to him. And they were being chastised by the Lord, not because he hated them, but because he loved them. They were his people. He wanted to draw them back to himself. But among all that preaching that he did, God revealed to Isaiah during that period of waiting... God revealed some things about himself to the people of Israel through Isaiah that they had not heard or received in a very long time. Now, they were always true. But then they heard them. Fresh, fresh ears. One of those is Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16. I think it's appropriate as we think about what David says here in Psalm 27. Isaiah 49, 15, and 16 declares, Can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion for the child of her womb? Even if these forget, yet I will not forget you. Look, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Those who wait on the Lord can fully expect Him to fulfill their hope. Psalm 25, verse 3 says, no one who waits for you will be disgraced. So the Lord will hear us. The Lord will care for us. These are promises we claim, but also the Lord will guide us. Verses 11 and 12. David asked the Lord, look at it, verse 11. Show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. You know how hard it is to live for Jesus when the people around us are just not lovable? Now, I know you're always lovable, right? As we're talking about other people. It's hard to live on a level path. 
What is David saying here? He is saying in this song, let me live and respond to what I may face as you would. Now, waiting for the Lord involves confident expectation of a positive result. It's based on our knowledge of and our trust in God. You see, when David was a teenager, he was anointed by Samuel as the next king in Israel. But he had to wait a very, very long time before he sat on that throne. And what we see in Psalm 27 is David's confession. You know, if he had set me on the throne when I was a teenager, I wouldn't have been ready. I wasn't ready. There are a lot of things that God has in store for us in our lives. We find ourselves in the waiting room. We think, all right. You know, we just sit there like it's an idle time. It's not an idle time. It's a time when God is developing our character and getting us ready for what He wants because we're not yet ready. This morning, as I think about that, I want to encourage you with the benefits of waiting for the Lord because I said, you know, waiting for the Lord, that's, that's a fitting exercise for us. But I want you to notice also that waiting for the Lord is a fruitful exercise for us. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to bear much fruit. This is my Father's will that you bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Waiting for the Lord, we find, renews our strength. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount out with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Secondly, waiting for the Lord establishes our faith and it brings serenity and stability in our lives. Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord and He turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Waiting for the Lord is a testimony to others. Many will see and fear, and they will trust the Lord, Psalm 40, verse 3 says. Others will see, during a period of of waiting, others will see our faith in the Lord, and during that period of waiting, what will happen is, is we're going to see that God will use us, even as a testimony to others, and because they see the way we wait on the Lord, they will put their trust in Him. It's a testimony. Waiting for the Lord brings God's blessings. Isaiah 64, 4 says this, From ancient times, no one has heard, no one has listened to, no eye has seen any God except you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for Him. Sometimes we might feel as if the Lord does not see or hear us, that He's not answering our prayers. The truth is, God is always working for our good. That's the truth of Romans eight twenty eight. He is working for our good even when we can't feel it.
So even though God had announced David would be king, and Saul, because he had grown away from God, resented it and feared David, Saul wanted to do what all people who are not walking with God want to do. They want to get as far away from the presence of God as they possibly can. Because when we're in the presence of other people who are walking with the Lord, that makes us uncomfortable. We either have one choice. We either drag them down with us or we got to get away from it. Otherwise, it's going to be a very uncomfortable experience. Now, even though David, it had been announced by Samuel that he was going to be king, he had to wait all those years for Saul on, sitting on the throne. And yet David never moved against Saul to try to get rid of Saul, to speed things up. Instead, David took his own advice. And what was that? Verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. I don't think he's the only one who said this. I've heard it said by many people, but Adrian Rogers is credited with having said, God is not concerned with time, only timing. He's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. Therefore, this morning, I want you to understand, as you are rooted and grounded in the Lord, there are going to be many seasons in your life when you're going to have to wait on the Lord. And waiting on the Lord is not a time to be idle. It's a time of seeking and trusting and praying. And all the while, we know God is working out His perfect plan for us because He cares for you. Let's stand together for prayer. Lord, one of the great advantages of being the preacher is I get to live with these words long before I get up here to deliver them. This is just just the kind of message this week that when you gave this message to me, Lord, you knew that this was exactly what I needed to hear at this point in my life. And... um, that I didn't stand up here to preach something for other people, but to preach, first of all, something for myself. So, Lord, thank you for understanding the ebb and flow of our walk with you and for making both the high tide and the low tide times of spiritual growth for me and for us. Lord Jesus, now as we respond to you, We trust you to do your mighty work in us. And as we wait, we wait in faith. 
We ask you to be honored and glorified as we wait before the Lord. 